Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, as Anne said, I'm Tim. I'm the associate vicar here. Um, I particularly want to say welcome to you if you're a student who's visiting us today. Um, we love students in this church, and we, um, we absolutely love the city of Cambridge and think it's just an amazing place to be a student in. And we just want to pray that uh, your time here is just so blessed. And um, I'd love it if you come say hi to me at the end. Um, I oversee our student ministry here. Um, hopefully, you'll have met Lawrence already. But do, do come say hi, because we, we love students, and we want to bless you guys as you're here in the city. Um, as Anne said, we're starting a new sermon series today. And throughout the whole of this academic year, with a short break in Advent, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. And it's a book that has so much relevance for us here and now. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a time where so many people are quoting Hebrews at the minute and speaking into the life of our nation through this book. But particularly, um, as a church, Anne has speaking into the life of this church last week through Hebrews 10, chapter, um, verses 19 to 25. And uh, that is the verses we're going to hold for our vision for this year. And that's such a pivotal part of that book. But we're going to come to it later in the spring. But if you didn't hear Anne's talk um, from last week, I want to encourage you to listen to that. It's really, really important to hear uh, the vision for our church. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first three verses of this book together. But before we do that, I'm going to try and give us a very, very brief overview of the book of Hebrews. Um, I never believe a preacher when he says it's going to be brief. Um, but it is a challenging book. It's a difficult one to read, and it's quite complicated. Um, and I'm really glad that when we did the preaching rater, that all the difficult passages fell on Anne to preach, not myself. And I really wish, actually, that now we had an hour to do this overview um, together, because it, uh, it can be quite challenging. Um, I actually wish we had a, probably an hour as well to do the first few verses. Um, but I'm going to try and do it in five minutes. And we're going to look at three questions together. We're going to look at who. So who's the audience? Who's the author? What, what's in this letter? And what is it for us now that God is saying to us? Well, I'm going to start by praying before we go any further. So Lord, this morning we say we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, come and speak to us afresh this day. Amen. So as I said, we're going to start by looking at who. This is one of the more unusual letters in the New Testament. It doesn't follow the style of Paul's writing and other writers. We don't know who the author was, and we don't really know who the audience was either. It doesn't follow that classic style of, um, I'm going to change the names, but Jim Bob, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the beloved church in Cambridge. Greetings. We can replace it. Paul, Ephesians, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, every letter seems to start in that classic way. But here we don't have any of that. The writer goes straight into the message. There's no niceties here, which has led some people to believe actually that maybe this isn't a letter, but actually it's a written sermon. It's a word from God for this people for that time. But there are things we do know about the author and the audience that we can read from within this text. So we know that the author must have been somebody who was schooled in the Jewish faith. And that's because every argument they make comes from a rich knowledge of the Hebrew texts. It has to have been as well then a Jewish 
audience, not a Gentile one, because therefore the author, he's making an assumption that they know what he's talking about. He's making the assumption that they know these are well-known texts from God's word, from the Torah, from the Old Testament. But the important thing I want us to focus on today, and the thing I want us to remember about this group of people who this author was writing to, is that they were struggling. They were facing persecution. And it wasn't persecution for the first time, it was a second round of persecution for them as a church. And chapter 10, and verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew, you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. It's quite a tough thing they were facing, wasn't it? All their stuff confiscated, prison, conflict, insult. It was a community that was facing really, really difficult times. And actually in those days, Christians were easy targets. If you think about um, Christians, we're we're actually quite weird, aren't we? (laughs) And we do some weird things. Um, Just think about communion. We're eating the body and blood of God. That's That's a really weird thing, isn't it, to those outside of the church? And the early Christians were thought to be cannibals because they were talking around, talking about going around eating the body and blood. It was an insult they were given. I want us to remember in those times, the proclamation that was made was that Caesar was Lord. The emperor thought himself to be divine. He declared that he was Lord. But then we've got this other group of people now going around saying that a criminal that had been killed was Lord, that Jesus was Lord. That didn't make them popular. But it wasn't just the Roman citizens who persecuted this group of Christians. It was also the Jews. And this was the theme that was beginning to start to derail them. They were starting to question whether they were better off as they were before. And they were starting to begin to drift away because of this. And we know that because in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So that's who. It was written to a persecuted people. So what? What's in this book? What's the makeup of the book of Hebrews? Well, I think the author has two really simple goals to communicate in this book. They're actually amazing in-depth truths, but I'm going to give us to them as two simple goals to make it easier for us to understand. And these come in chapters 1 to 10. And his goal for communication, number one, was to show that Jesus is superior to everything else that has come before. He elevates Jesus above everything else. Communication goal number two is this. Because of that, because of who Jesus is, we therefore must stay faithful to Christ in the midst of persecution and suffering. They must have stayed faithful to Christ in what they were facing. And so he shows us Christ's superiority in four different ways, each finishing uh, with a warning. And I want to just show what those four ways are really quickly because it helps us to just get a bit of a structure for the book and to see where we're going through this year. So in chapters one to two, he shows that Christ is superior to the angels and the prophets of old. And we're going to look at that together a little bit more next week. And the message here is that Jesus, God's word, is the fulfillment of what has been spoken before. In chapters 3 
and four, he shows us that Jesus is superior to Moses and the promised land. Just remember for a second how important Moses was to the Jews. But here he's showing that Jesus is now the hope for the new creation. He's the one that's going to lead them through their dark times. In chapters 5 and 7, he's shown that Jesus is superior to the priests and to the order of Melchizedek, the priestly king. And the message here, one that's unique to the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is our great high priest, our eternal priest. And then finally, the fourth thing in chapters 8 to 10, he shows us that Jesus is superior to the sacrifices and the covenants of the past. And that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice. And we're going to pick up a little bit more about that later on in our reading. And our verses, as I've said for this year, is a bit of a pivotal uh, point in the book, verse, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, where they become, uh, where it changes from a message of uh, Christ's superiority to a message of faith, a practical faith in action. So what is all this for us now? Well, I hope actually that quite a lot of that is pretty clear in terms of what we're going for now, why we're reading this book together. And that's because I think it's going to be a massive encouragement for us as a church. We know that society is uh, pretty hard at the minute, isn't it? There's so many things going wrong, but we know actually that it's harder and harder increasingly to live as a Christian in the world around us with all the voices that are going on telling us the truth of God's word is not truth. There's so many, so many different things trying to speak up against God's word. Yet here we have a claim that is truth, that Christ is superior to all things. And that's why we're reading this book, because we want to come back to Jesus. Remember that Jesus is Lord. Maybe for some of us, we feel like actually it's been a really, really difficult year. We feel like we've stopped growing in our faith, that the lockdowns and all the things that have gone on have just bit derailed us a little bit. I believe that God is going to speak to you in particular this year through this. As we look at these people who felt like they were going off track, as that they were being derailed, I believe that God is going to speak to you and draw you back to himself. In a minute, I'm going to read our passage for today. But first, I just want to encourage you that if you really want to get a good overview of this book, um, you need to read it for yourself. So I want to encourage you to sit and to read it uh, this week if you can, or in the next few weeks, take some time. Um, I remember um, a real prominent um, time of sitting reading this where I was on a clergy conference, and um, not once did they talk about Jesus. So I thought I'm going to sit and read the book of Hebrews to remember that Christ is superior and that Christ reigns. And uh, he, he, yeah, some people are laughing. It does happen, believe it or not, in the church. They forget to talk about Jesus sometimes. Not here, thankfully. We all, always talk about Jesus. But it's really good to come back to you to remember that Christ is superior, that Christ is Lord. So I want to encourage you to read this book. Let's go to our passage together. And if you've got a Bible, um, open it up, because we're going to refer back to it lots as we go. So Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to go to verse 1 together. And we're going to go through this now phrase by phrase because it's got so much in it. I think that's the easiest way to try and understand it together. So in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. One of the things that I've said already is that we see this book is unique because of the way the author uses the Old Testament, the way he uses the Hebrew scriptures. We're going to see throughout this year that every argument the author makes comes from an understanding of the prophetic words of the past. He uses the Psalms, he uses all of scripture. You see, because what the Bible he had in front of him was not the Bible we have today, because he was the one writing it, wasn't he? He was writing these words. He had the Hebrew scriptures, and he uses them to point to Jesus. And the thing that I felt God saying for us as I was reading this was to remember for us how important the Old Testament is. I want to encourage you to read your Old Testament if you don't know it, if you're not opening it regularly to read it. I've noticed that so many churches nowadays never open the Old Testament. They'll jump straight to the New Testament. They'll jump straight to the Gospels. And there's a failure there. We need to preach from that part of God's word because it shows us who Jesus is. I'm so glad we're not a church like that, that we love the Old Testament here. You see, because when we read the whole of this book, every single word points to Jesus. And then we truly understand what Jesus has done for us and how amazing God is. So we're going to go to verse 2 now together. And I'm going to start to just go through a bit of a list of things together of who Jesus is and what this passage tells us about that. So in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the greatest prophet. Where we've seen God spoke in various ways before, now God has spoken fully, decisively, finally, and perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. God's way of speaking to his people, though, was not just through the words of Jesus. We've got to remember that. that It's not just Jesus' teaching, but it's about who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. Remember that Jesus was the very word of God. That was who he was. You see, it's important that the writer mentions the ways in which God has spoken before and how he's speaking now because all of this letter, you see, is pointing to what Christ has done. It's pointing to the fact that Jesus hasn't come to wipe away the old covenant, but he's come to fulfill it, to better it. And we're seeing that right from the beginning where he draws us to say that he's speaking through Jesus. And I want to just uh, pull one more thing out of this verse before we move on. Just that phrase, in these last days. It was a phrase the early church uh, kind of used because they thought that Jesus was coming back really soon. They thought these days were the last days. I think they'd be really surprised, actually, uh, to think we're still sitting here 2,000 years later waiting for Jesus to return. But the thing about that, the thing about this phrase in these last days, is it gave them an encouragement to get on with it, to share Jesus with people, because they thought, we haven't got long because Jesus is coming back. I want to ask this the question this morning. Have we lost that sense of urgency? The fact that Jesus might come back tomorrow and we've only got 24 hours left to share Jesus with people. 
Because that's the reality. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could well be in the next five minutes. We just don't know. So we need to treat every minute with that sense of urgency of sharing who Jesus is with people. The next thing, whom he appointed heirs of heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus will inherit from the Father, not just the earth, but the whole of creation. Everything is, will be inherited by the Son. It's all things. The Son's inheritance is rich. It shows us his value. It shows us his importance and his honor. The thing I want us to remember as we look at that verse is that as believers, the New Testament shows us that we inherit with Christ. We're co-heirs with him. We inherit all the Father has. And that's amazing, isn't it? We are co-heirs with Christ. So two-thirds of the way through, we're going to come to the end of verse 2. And through whom also he made the universe. Jesus is the creator. Let's just recall the situation for a minute that the people reading this letter are in. They were Jewish, Jewish Christians who were facing severe persecution. Their faith was wavering and they were struggling. They were trying to follow Jesus, but it was challenging. You see, what the author was doing here was reminding them that Jesus has power. If Jesus had power to make the universe and everything in it, then surely Jesus has power to sustain them through the trials they were going through. I think Jesus took the chaos before the earth was made and turned it into this beautiful thing. Jesus could easily take the chaos of their lives and make it beautiful too. It's an amazing truth. Jesus is our creator. Never forget that, that Jesus made everything. He knows you intimately because of that. So we go on to verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is God's glory personified. The glory of God was something they could now behold. And that again was so amazing. To a Jewish reader, that would have brought back the memory of God's glory in the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. It would have reminded them of the cloud on Mount Sinai. It would have reminded them of the glory of God filling the temple. And that glory had power. Because people would die just walking into the presence of the glory of God because it was so powerful. But now we're told all that power, the radiance of all of God's glory is in the sun. It's reflected in Jesus. He's the glory of God personified. Jesus is God's glory. But Jesus describes himself, doesn't he, as somebody who's gentle and humble of heart. He's the glory of God, the power of God, but he's also compassionate. And the persecuted people here, this group of people who were struggling so much, he knew their pain, didn't he? Because he was a compassionate God. But the thing here, what he's saying is he has a God, he's a God who has power, a power to sustain them through their hardships. And that's what we need to remember, that Jesus is God. He's the one with the Father. Jesus has power to transform our lives. Jesus is that true image of God. Jesus is God. And that's exactly what the author reminds us of next, where he says, and the exact representation 
of his being. What he means there is Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know what God looks like, you look to Jesus. To unbelieving Jews, to Jews who weren't Christians, who are still following the Jewish faith, this would have been blasphemous to make, say something that was, that was an image of God because it was making an idol, to say someone was like that in that way, to say that he was God. Because actually what he's saying here is not like us where we just reflect the image of God. He's saying there that he was God. He's the exact representation of God. Not just an image bearer, but he is God himself. So if you want to look at who Jesus is, if you want to know what God is, you just got to look, it's like looking at Jesus in the mirror. That's what God is like. It's like looking at Jesus in the mirror. Again, in verse three, he goes on to say, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the sustainer. I want to say, if you're struggling at the moment, if you're running on empty, if you're running on low, just look to Jesus. Because he doesn't just sustain some things, he sustains all things. That's the truth that we see here. Jesus sustains all things. And I want to encourage you today, if you need sustaining by Jesus, get stuck into his word. Read your Bible, pray through your Bible, talk to the Bible about others, talk about God's word with them. But my encouragement really for you this morning is not just to read your Bible, but to get to know God through it to get to know God's word, to memorize passages of it, to allow it to sink deep into your heart so that when trouble comes, you've just got it there in your mind. So when you think about the fact that you need to trust in God, what comes to your mind is the passages that tell us that we can trust in God, that remind us of God's faithfulness. I think this week um, I've really felt sustained by God's word. I started off the week with quite a challenging uh, beginning of the week. I've been really, really tired and I wondered how I'd have the energy this morning to get up to preach. But I feel like as I've been preparing this week and as I've read these passages, I've felt sustained by God's word. I felt like they've given me energy and they've helped me to come alive. I wanna encourage you to get stuck into God's word in this way. And finally, the last part of verse three. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is God's unique sacrifice once and for all. In chapters 8 to 10 of this book, the author of Subset compares Jesus to the sacrifices and covenants of the Old Testament and shows just how superior the sacrifice of Jesus is and how superior the new covenant he has made with us is. And we know, don't we, that Jesus' death on the cross has taken our sin, it's taken our shame, and he's made us righteous and holy before God. But I think the thing that would have been really striking here for people who are first reading this letter is the comment at the end, that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, we're going to read a little bit more uh, later on about Jesus' comparison to uh, the priests, the priests of the past. And what is striking here is that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. There's no longer any need to continually sacrifice by the priests. Jesus had done it once and for all. And it was so clear that Jesus has done it once and for all that he went and sat down with his Father in heaven. 
because he had done it. He claimed the victory. He'd done it once and for all. There's no longer any need to sacrifice to God in that way because Jesus had done it. And that's what is so unique about Jesus' death on the cross. It's once and for all for anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. So I'm going to come into land now. I'm going to draw us together. We've covered quite a lot there, haven't we, in those few verses. And it's going to be quite a challenge this year, I think, as we go through Hebrews, because um, that's just the first few verses, and it gets richer and richer as it goes through. And um, I think there's going to be lots and lots of things each week for us to take away as we approach, uh, approach this book together. But the thing I just want to leave you remembering this morning is that Jesus is so, so good. Jesus is better than anything else. And that's the big central theme of this book, that Jesus is superior to what has come in the past and there'll be nothing ever that is better than him. And what that then means for us is that we give all of ourselves to Jesus. We commit to following him. We become his disciples. We imitate who he was and what he does. All of Hebrews is going to point back to Jesus Every time we open this book together, we're going to hear about Jesus. And the next few months, um, we're probably going to get a little bit of repetition every time uh, we come to preach because um, the message every time is going to be Christ is supreme and the call is to stay faithful to him. And you know what? That's really good because that's a message that we need to hear over and over and over again because the world is saying something different. Lots of things are saying something different to us. But we need to come back and remember and remember again and know it from the depth of our heart that Christ is supreme, that he is a better life for us if we follow him, if we imitate him, if we fix our eyes upon Jesus. I just want to finish now by praying together. So Lord, we thank you for this call in this book. This calls us to fix our eyes upon you Lord, to stay faithful to you. And I'll thank the you that we can do that because we know that you, Jesus, are so amazing. You're far beyond anything else. That life with you is better. And Lord, I pray that this year that you would reveal more about who Jesus is to us as we study this book together. Lord, equip us as we read this to be the followers of Jesus sharing your goodness with everyone. So Lord, we're open to you, and we pray, come and speak to us this year. In Jesus' name, amen.